my favorite earthly possession, and really there's not even a close second, would have to be my truck, all right? And it's quite an obnoxious truck, and I always said I wouldn't be obnoxious truck guy, but I've kind of become obnoxious truck guy. We're talking turbo back exhaust connected to a 6.7 liter turbocharged diesel V8. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Oh, 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 right? And so my youngest, Sarah, she loves to get in it and say, Daddy, let's go fast. Daddy, let's go fast. And there's nothing that ministers to the heart of a daddy. <laughs> nothing. Then his little girl saying, Daddy, let's go fast. I mean, what can you do, right? And so sometimes, and if we come by your house on like a Wednesday night and you just hear a really, that, that's us. I mean, that's me impressing my three-year-old. But sometimes we might be in the driveway or we might be in a parking lot and she'll say, Daddy, let's go fast. And I, in the moment, I know we can't go fast, but even though I can't go fast, I can put on a show. You know what I'm saying? And so I'll throw it in neutral and I'll rev that engine up and I'll make it as loud as I can go and she'll start clapping and cheering it on and the more she claps and cheers on, the louder I rev that engine to go. And you know, when we're revving the engine, it's an amazing thing if you really stop and think about it, that, that you hear the tremendous power of that motor. And I mean power, baby. And you even know that there is power there behind the sound. You can even know all about the power, but you aren't actually experiencing it. You aren't actually experiencing it. You don't experience the power of that motor until you put the truck in gear, until you begin to use the truck to propel you down the forward and tens of thousands of pounds. You know what I'm saying? And I think for a lot of people, the Christian life has become like a truck that's in neutral revving the engine. For a lot of you, you have heard about the power of God. You have heard about the wonder of God. You have known people to talk and to testify to the power of God. And all of it may even sound really good to you, but though you have heard about the power of God and you have read about the power of God and you have studied about the power of God, you have never experienced the power of God. You see, throughout the New Testament, as it talks about the Christian life, it always talks about climbing the ladder. It always talks about taking new steps of faith, continually growing from the milk of the word to the meat of the word, growing in maturity. And whatever step that you're on, whatever rung of the ladder that you find yourself, because God is so profound and God is so transcendent and God is so great and God is so wonderful, there is still yet another step for you to go. There is still yet another rung on the ladder for you to climb that you continually are maturing in the word and growing in the word. But I wonder for many of you, if you would look back over a year or five years or 10 years and you would say that truthfully, I'm in the same place today in my walk with Christ that I was last year or that I was five years. In fact, I may not even be in the same place. I've rolled back a little bit. 
that you feel as though your walk with Christ is stuck in neutral and you may come on Sundays and you may rev the engine occasionally, but you don't experience the power of God transforming you, coming out, working itself out in good works in your life. This morning and over the next three weeks, what I wanna challenge us to do as a church and what I wanna challenge you to do as a follower of Christ is to put your faith in gear. Put your faith in gear. To begin taking new steps of faith, to begin climbing another rung of the ladder to see God's glory in greater depth and greater clarity than you've ever seen it before. To increase your joy, to increase your peace, to increase your satisfaction in Christ. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about our discipleship process as a church. The process, you've been seeing it in banners, you're gonna see it a lot more all over the place. Connect, disciple, go. And the reason that we have structured it the way that we have is to come alongside you and to equip you as a follower of Christ to take new steps in your faith, new steps with the Lord wherever you are in your faith right now. To put your faith in gear, to go from first gear to second gear, or second gear to third gear. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you go ahead and turn with me to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is gonna be toward the back of your Bible. And when you get to Hebrews chapter 10, would you stand with me as we prepare to read God's word together? Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse 19, read through verse 25. And we're really gonna emphasize verses 24 and 25 this morning. God's inerrant and sufficient word says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. Where we jump into the book of Hebrews this morning is a turning point in the book. For the first 10 chapters, all the way through chapter 10, verse 18, we've got some of the richest redemptive theology found anywhere in the New Testament. That the author of Hebrews does a better job, perhaps, of, than any of the other authors of showing us how the Old Covenant gives way to the New Covenant, how all of the law of the Old Testament is fulfilled and satisfied in Christ, and how that then sets us free now in the New Covenant. And so he comes to chapter, to verse 19 of chapter 10, and he's shifting gears. What he's going to show us is that all of this profoundly rich redemptive theology, all of, this, all of these wonderful truths about what has happened through Christ in the new covenant, what it means in our life now, what it means in everyday life and how we are to live and what we are to do and what we are to be about. You see, what the author of Hebrews knows is something that you must understand that what you believe must affect what you do or you don't really believe it. What you believe must affect what you do or you don't really believe it. If it doesn't change you, you don't really love it. If you don't understand how it applies to everyday life, you don't really understand it. 
And so in the original language, verses 19 through verse 25 are all one sentence. They are intended to be tied together and anchored together so that we can see how beautiful, powerful theology, how powerful, profound belief leads to practical action and application in our lives. So he starts with these two these two uh, senses, and he leads to, and it leads to these three let us's. Do you notice that? So he says, so since we have access to God through Christ, since we have a great priest, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to the assurance that we have in Christ and let us stir up one another to love and good works. Since we have Christ, since we have a priest, let us, let us apply it into our life. Let our belief affect our actions. Let our belief affect every day. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to the assurance of our faith. Let us stir one another up in the faith. And so what we see is we see how this, this profound theology is lived out in the life of the disciple and in the life of the community of disciples. And so what I want us to do this morning is to especially see how that affects us as a community of disciples, as the church, the New Testament church, by locking in on verses 24 and 25. In verses 24 and 25, we're going to see three responsibilities of our life together in the church. The first responsibility that we see is that we are responsible to inspire one another. We are, in, we are responsible to inspire one another. You'll notice if you, if you slow down and you, you meditate on the passage and you read it slowly and deliberately, you'll notice that there is an emphasis on togetherness and on corporate solidarity found throughout, right? So it's since we have access in Christ. It's since we have a great priest. Let us hold fast. Let us, let us draw near. Let us stir up one another. That in the mind of the author of Hebrews throughout is this idea that this is to be done together. That the Christian faith is not going to be lived as a long ranger faith. That the Christian faith is not going to be lived on a desert island. The Christian faith is not going to be home watching TV or listening to a podcast. The Christian faith is going to have a collective togetherness about it. It is going to have a corporate solidarity that is powerful. This is something that has been true of all of us. And this is something that all of us must react to. That is, we have been saved together. We have been saved together. You were saved personally, but you were saved into the kingdom of God, into a kingdom of togetherness. And not only were we saved together, but we are to follow Christ together. I don't follow Christ in a vacuum. I don't follow Christ in an imaginary world. I follow Christ with my church. I follow Christ with my brothers and sisters in the faith. I, I follow Christ with those who sharpen me and those who hold me accountable. I follow Christ with those who love Christ and seek to please Christ as I seek to love and please Christ with my life. So we see that we are saved together, that we might be connected together to follow Christ together. That there is a togetherness in the Christian life that is unakin to any other walk of faith in any other religion across the world. We were saved to come into each other. You know, last week, one of the things that we talked about is we talked about anxiety and mom guilt. Is we talked about how God designed us 
to need God, right? That, that one of the reasons that we so battle anxiety in our lives is we begin to bear the weight of responsibilities that only God can handle because God, we need God to flourish and we need God to make it in this world. But what we see in Hebrews chapter 10 is that God did not just design us with a need for God, but God designed us with a need for each other. That God built us inherently, intrinsically to need one another to be able to thrive as people of God, to be able to, to live in obedience, to live in commitment to the Lord, to live in joy of the Lord, to abide in Christ as we talked about with Kylie and Keith. The only way for us to do that is to be with one another, that we live for the Lord primarily, but we live with and for one another secondarily. And it is critically important to our fate. So he says it in a funny way. And he really, verse 24 is worded so carefully, so meticulously, so powerfully. He says, stir one another up to love and good works. Stir one another up to, ner to, to uh, love and good works. And it's really a funny way to say it because the, the verb stir up is a negative uh, word most of the time. In fact, if you have a, a King James Bible this morning, it probably says provoke, provoke your brother or sister to good, to love and good works. When we think of provoking someone, we don't, we, we think of provoking anger, provoking confusion, provoking contempt, provoking resentment. The, the idea here is to incite or to agitate your brother or sister in the faith. But rather than provoking them in a negative way, rather than agitating them in a negative way or inciting or stirring them up in a negative way, we are to stir up in our brother and sister passion for the Lord. We are to agitate their faith. We are to, we are to provoke them to love God more and to follow Christ more nearly. That we are to, to agitate them in a way that stirs them up to the good things that God has for them. You know, there's two different ways to stir up an ant bed, isn't there? Like way number one, you take your Husqvarna and you just run slap over the thing and cut it in half and it, the whole ant bed turns into a cloud of smoke, right? And when you do, you look down and the ant bed, it's just a frenzy, right? Like they're running all over the place, going everywhere. You've provoked them, you've stirred them up. But there's another way. If you take a slice of red velvet cake and you drop it right in the middle of an ant bed. You take a cube of sugar and you drop it right in the middle of the ant bed. They go nuts. They go crazy. They'll go, they'll start frenzying and it'll look exactly the same. But it's two different ways of provoking, isn't it? It's two different ways of stirring up. When you hit it with the husk varna, you're stirring them up in anger. You're stirring them up in, in, in panic and in chaos. But when you drop a slice of red velvet cake, man, you're stirring up passion. You're stirring up pleasure. You're getting to the intrinsic design of what an ant was built to do. And you're enabling the ant to be able to do what the ant does better than the ant has ever done in his life. And it's like, man, we have to carry this stuff for miles usually. And you dropped it in our house, man. This is a picture of the church, isn't it? For too long, the church has stirred one another up to anger and stirred one another up to disappointment and stirred one another up to guilt and to shame and to judgment. But Christ, 
Christ has called us to something more beautiful. Christ has called us to something more powerful. Rather than using the things that we have in our lives to stir one another up to guilt and to anger and to oppression, we are to stir one another up to passion, to love Christ, to go where Christ has sent us and to go joyfully, to go boldly, to go courageously even. That the Lord is to use one another in our lives to help us get to the level of maturity and sanctification in our lives that Christ has called us to. So that we can live in the design and in the flow of who God has built us to be. You see, there is a twofold motive behind everything that we do. One of them comes fairly natural to us in the church and the other unnatural. But there is a twofold motive behind everything that we do to glorify Jesus and to inspire one another. To glorify Jesus and to inspire each other. I want you to think about what he says. He says, consider how to pro- consider how to stir up one another. Consider. This is the exact same word that we saw last week in Luke chapter 12. Remember what Jesus said as Jesus is telling us how to remedy this racing, anxious heart that we have? He says, consider the ravens. Consider the lilies of the field. What is he saying? He's saying, think reflectively upon it. Think deeply about it. Think, contemplate over what's going on. In other words, meditate. Meditate on the birds and how well fed they are. Meditate on the lilies of the field and how beautiful they are. And here, the author of Hebrews is telling us the same thing. What he is saying is that we should meditate on how we can increase the joy of our church family. We should spend time thinking and contemplating and, and, and focusing on how I can come into the life of my brother or my sister and lift up their spirit and increase their passion and increase their joy. That my job is to take responsibility for your pleasure and your joy in the Lord. So he's saying, do you have a passion for mission? Do you have a passion to reach all nations? Consider how you can stir up that same passion in your brother or in your sister. Do you have a passion for orphan care? Consider how to stir up your brother or your sister toward having the same kind of passion for orphan care. Do you have a a passion to minister to young moms? Consider how to stir up your whole church so that they will minister to young moms. Whatever the Lord is doing in your life, use that work of God in you to produce a work of God in your church family, in your brother, in your sister. To use what God has done in you to minister to them. So we typically think that everything I do is for an audience of one, right? Like, like my whole life is not about people. It's about Jesus. It's about God. And, and there is a, there's a level of truth to that. But what we see as we read the New Testament, because we are so interconnected to one another, that there is a primary audience of Christ, but there is a secondary audience of one another. That's why uh, Paul says, he says, address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Andrew mentioned that during worship this morning, didn't he? One of the reasons that we worship primarily, it is to glorify Christ and to elevate Christ and to bless Christ. But secondarily, we are to address one another in our worship and sing for the good of those standing beside us that their faith might be strengthened, that they might be encouraged, that they might prevail over all of the discouragements of this life. 
That there is a primary focus of glorifying Christ and a secondary focus of inspiring one another. But, but as we inspire one another toward greater faithfulness in Christ, what happens? Christ's glory expands. Christ is more glorified. That if I don't just focus on, on loving Christ, but on inspiring others by loving Christ, then what happens is others have their faith and passions stirred up within them. Christ is all the more exalted. Christ is all the more elevated. See, the disciple of Christ is responsible to both glorify Jesus and inspire others. And by inspiring others, they bring more glory to Jesus. You need the church. And the church needs you. You need the church and the church needs you. I want you to think about this in the term and, and, and how Christ has equipped us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, in 1 Peter, it tells us that we have been equipped by the Holy Spirit at the sending and prompting of Christ with particular gifts, spiritual gifts. And do you know where each of those gifts are used? Each of those gifts are used for the life of the church to serve the body of Christ, to advance the glory of Christ. So those gifts are used in light of Christ's glory to the worship of Christ, but to the good of the body. In other words, Christ has equipped each of us uniquely with gifts, especially designated for us that we might inspire one another forward in the faith. Have you been gifted, spiritually gifted with generosity? It is your responsibility in the body to inspire the whole body to become more generous. Have you been gifted to teach the word of God? It is your responsibility to inspire the whole body to take seriously the word of God and to delight in the word of God. Have you been gifted with hospitality? It is your responsibility to inspire the whole church to become more self-giving and welcoming and loving to those who are coming from the outside. Whatever gift you have been given by the Lord, the Lord has given to you that you might bring glory to Christ and that you might inspire your brother or sister forward. How are you inspiring your brothers and sisters now? In your life, who in your life is having their passion for Christ stirred because they're around you? Who in your life is close? Are, are your children that live in your home, are they more likely to be inspired and encouraged to faith in Christ or discouraged and led to despair over Christ by following you? In your life, what, what does it look like if I were to follow you around and spend time with you? Would I be drawn into closer fellowship to Christ and Christ thus more glorified in me? The second instruction that we see in our text is that we are to commit to one another. We are to commit to one another. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And the way I think that we should see the text laid out is the first, inspiring one another, stirring one another to, to love and good works is the what. That, that is the aim of the church. That is the aim of the Christian life, to love God and to love others and to inspire others to love God and love others. But then we get to the next two, commit and encourage. And I think we're seeing the how. This is how we inspire our brothers. This is how this begins to be lived out in our life and lived out in the life of the church. 
He tells us to commit to each other, to be faithful to each other by telling us not to fall into neglect of each other. Not fall into neglect of each other. And you know this in all of your relationships. You know this in your marriage. You know this in dating. You know this in friendships. That if you neglect the marriage, if you neglect your wife, neglect your husband, neglect your friend, neglect your kids, the relationship frays. The heart cools and hardens. And eventually you wake up with a stranger, don't you? And so he's saying, he's saying, don't fall into neglect because neglect, it usually isn't purposeful, but it is natural. It isn't usually purposeful, but it is natural. That's why he refers, some are in the habit of this. This is a, a habit. You don't fall into good habits, do you? You fall into bad habits. Like you don't fall into eating too much broccoli. You fall into eating too many donuts, right? You, you, don't, you don't fall into waking up an hour early and spending it with God. You fall into oversleeping with seven snooze button hits, right? You don't fall into going to bed on time. You fall into staying up too late. You fall into bad habits. And you, you fall into neglect. I bet some of you could testify. You never intended to neglect your wife. You, you never intended to neglect your kids for the sake of work. But one day, five, 10 years down the road, you woke up and you realized that you were a stranger. And when your wife began to talk to you and she began to tell you how heartbroken and miserable she was, it was a jolt to your system. And you realized that everything that she said was true. It was an accident, but it happened. And the same is the truth in the church, brothers and sisters. The same is the truth in our fellowship with one another and in our relationships with one another. Tom Rainer, uh, he used to, he just recently retired CEO of Lifeway and they have a wing of Lifeway called Lifeway Research and they did research on church faithfulness. And what they found was that the average church member that considers themselves to be faithful comes to worship two times a month, two times a month. So, so let, let's process that for a second. That means that they are in worship 25 to 26 Sundays a year. 25 to 26 Sundays a year. That, that means for us to count you once, we have to reach two of you. That, that means if we need to tell everybody and make sure the whole church hears something once, we have to say it at least twice. But even more detrimental than that, the most destructive result of our low attendance is that our relationship with the church is shallow at best and superficial at worst. For most, it's not just that they are only in worship 25 to 26 times per year, but that they are only with their church family 25 to 26 times per year. And we are not being inspired forward in our faith, and we are certainly not inspiring others forward in their faith. Our passion for Christ begins to cool as our attendance does. You've noticed this. The human heart has a remarkable capacity to cool to the things of God. The human heart has a remarkable ability and capacity to harden to the things of God. And it is the preaching of God's word. It is gospel-centered community in the life of the Christian that rekindles and fans the flame of the heart that calls us forward out of apathy and into confession of sin. It's the community of faith, the church given to us by Christ that enables us to persevere, not just in languishing, but in flourishing. 
Christ's design is so that our commitment to him will lead to a commitment to his church and our commitment to his church will lead to a greater commitment in our walk with him. See, there is a hundred different reasons that we can give for our lack of commitment to one another. There's a hundred different reasons that we can give for the reason that we attend so, so sporadically, for the reason that we are, are so non-committal in our walk with Christ. But the truth is, is that there are only two at the end of the day. And the two reasons for our lack of commitment to one another are pride and love. Pride and love. You see, church is expendable only when you believe you are strong enough. Only when you believe you are godly enough. Only when you believe that you have had enough of Christ to hold you over. Enough of accountability to get you through. Enough passion to make it. And so I don't need it. And now it is expendable. Brothers and sisters, that is pride. That is pride that walks counter to the gospel. The only way that church is expendable to you is if you have a platter filled with options and fun things to do. And sleeping late and going golfing and shopping and NFL pregame and going to the lake are more enjoyable to you than being with the people of God. That is, it is a problem of love, a lack of love that we come together in the joy of the Lord in awe, inspired by what Christ has done, committed to one another, even though we don't feel like it. Man, oh my goodness, if you wait until you feel like it, you'll never do anything great for God. You'll never see anything powerful in the kingdom of God. No, not what we feel, but what we know is I know that my joy needs today. My joy needs Andrew and Chris and Russell and Gayla. My joy is at stake. And if I settle so easily to neglect the means of joy that Christ has brought into my life, my heart will cool and it will harden and my joy will dullen. You see, brothers and sisters, every week is a spiritual battle as to whether or not you will come to church. It is a spiritual battle as to whether or not you will fellowship with your brothers and sisters. It is a spiritual battle as to whether or not you will be a part of groups. It is a spiritual battle if you will put yourself out there and make friendships in the life of the church. It is a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to dishearten you and discredit you and discourage you. Will you let him win? Will you let him win? You see, what we need in the place of a destructive habit is a healthy one. We need a commitment and we, we need to make a commitment to intentionality. We may fall into neglect naturally, even accidentally, but commitment and faithfulness require intentionality in our lives. There's far more in the mind of the author here. When it says meet together, this is far deeper than attend together. Far deeper than attend together. Walking with the Lord is, is not less than attending worship together. Oh, but brothers and sisters, it is so much more than that. It is so much more than that. You cannot even live in obedience to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. You cannot even live in obedience to this passage with only attendance. You can't stir up and inspire your brothers and sisters just by standing beside them and never knowing them and never enjoying them, and never fostering relationships with one another. 
You cannot encourage your brothers and sisters in the faith by just standing beside them for an hour and coming in and going out and it being all the same. No, what it requires, what it requires is for us to live our lives with one another, to befriend one another, to adopt one another, to enjoy one another, to get together outside of the church and certainly inside of the church, to to know each other's names and each other's struggles and each other's sins and each other's vulnerabilities, to get real community in the life of the church is transformative, not just for us, but for your marriages and for your families, and for our community. It's the opportunity to express hospitality and experience friendship. It's sharing meals together and laughing together. It's using your spiritual gifts together and helping others together. It's stirring one another. You see, brothers and sisters, the church is not merely a crowd that assembles, but a family that unites every week. And that's why I think, and the author of Hebrews He has more in mind small groups than he has in mind large worship gatherings. Large worship gatherings are assumed of the people of God in the New Testament. Assumed. But what he has in mind here is what it talks about in Acts chapter 2 when it talks about them gathering daily in their homes and breaking bread together of having friendships with one another, of texting with one another and calling one another and encouraging one another. Because small groups, that's where relationships are forged. That's where sin is confessed. That's where encouragement is found. Small groups are where we wrestle openly with the word of God and how to live it out together. Small, small groups is where we become, where this large family of Christ becomes friends in Christ. See, the only way to know the joy of a true church family is to connect into the life of the family. We don't connect with crowds. We hide in crowds. And hiding is much easier than connecting. And look, some of you, you are wounded. You have been wounded by the church. You have been wounded by Christians. And you would say this morning, Cody, I just need a place to hide sometimes. I, I just, I, I'm just kind of putting my toe in the water and I just need, that's okay for a season, for a season. It's okay to be anonymous for a season, but what I would guard you against, what I would guard you against is to watch how easily it would be if you were anonymous in the church to fall out of the church. If you were anonymous in your hardship to fall out in discouragement. It's small groups that allow us to engage with one another, to get into the life of the church. And that's why I think connecting into the life of the church is the starting line for biblical Christianity. Connecting in the life of the church is the starting line for biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a personal faith that is lived out and demonstrated in the life of the public community. And that's why I think small groups in the life of Iron City Baptist Church is really the starting line. It's the place of connection. It's the place where you get to know people. It's the place where people get to know you. It's the first gear, the climbing gear of the Christian faith. Tom Rainer in that same study, what he discovered was is that people that were connected into small group were five times, five times more likely to be in the same church five years later. Think about what that means. If you connect into the church and you anchor your life in the church and you live your life with people in the church, you will stay in the church and you will be fed in the church and you will experience the continuity of faith in your life. 
Some of you have never experienced over the course of your whole Christian life the same church for five years. But let me tell you, it is a gift of grace from God to have a pastor that loves you and cares you and knows you and knows your struggles, to be there with you at your wedding and at the birth of your children and eventually at your burial, that's, that's powerful stuff. To be with people that, that when you have a major life event, they recognize that. I saw one of our, our groups this morning throwing a baby shower for one of the members of their group. And I thought, praise God, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. As simple as it is, it is the gospel. Oh, we need that, y'all. Every one of us need that because we are so fundamentally weak and broken and flawed. What's important to me is that Iron City is not just a crowd that you visit every week or a couple of times a month, but that it is a family that you can count on, a family that you can bank on. Connection groups are our primary opportunity for that. They happen at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings. Can I, just, can I ask you something? Would you give them six weeks? Would you just give them six weeks? Maybe you would say, I've tried it here and there. It's never, would you give it six weeks? Can I, like newsflash, everybody feels weird when they visit a church. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I say that for two different reasons. One, those of us that this isn't home, that this is home and we've been here for a while, we have a responsibility in Christian hospitality to reach out to those who are visiting to make them comfortable. But for those of you that you're kind of new, we've got a lot of new people that are, that are kind of coming into the life of our church. Like it's gonna take time for a new family to feel like family. We're adopting you into our house and we're excited about it. Be patient with us. Would you, would you give it six weeks? Would you give it six weeks to get to know people and to let people get to know you? Would you? And when you're there, don't just sit on the back corner and just be silent in the back, man. Nobody gets to know you that way. Push yourself, prompt yourself, force yourself to engage in the discussion and engage in conversation. Like put yourself out there because that's what it requires. That's what it requires to be inspired forward and to inspire others forward. The final, the final instruction that we see is that we are to encourage one another. We are to encourage one another. I love, I love the way the author of Hebrews lands what he's saying right here. I love this. He says that we're to work at encouraging each other. That is, we are to take responsibility for one another's joy. That, that the reason that I am to prepare to preach and to labor in the word and to come with something to say to you from, from the Lord himself is it is my responsibility as your pastor to encourage you, to give you joy in the Lord, to call you forward in faith, to call you out of your sin, to call you to new horizons with the Lord. That it is my responsibility to increase and take responsibility for your joy. And it's your responsibility to take responsibility of the joy of those that are sitting beside you. Their faith in Christ matters. Their marriage matters. Their, their parenting matters. Their empty nesting, it matters. And it matters to you. You have responsibility to not only inspire one another, but to inspire one another with the for the purpose of encouraging them, of increasing their joy. You know what encouragement comes from? Encouragement comes from authentic love expressed over time. Encouragement comes from authentic love expressed over an extended time. Encouragement comes when I trust someone enough to be vulnerable with them, 
Encouragement comes when I know I can confess sin without condemnation and receive care without feeling burdensome. Christian fellowship should be a joyful experience. No, guilt won't do. An obligation won't do. Only joy will do in the house of God. We're going to become the encouragers that God has called us to be. We must transform the culture of our groups, Iron City. We must move past being friendly and be loving. Loving. There's a difference, isn't there? Friendly works once. Friendly may work twice. You can have someone visit your church and the church be friendly to them and shake their hand and they leave impressed. But eventually, uh, eventually being friendly moves to being shallow, to being superficial. And people see through it. People see through smiling faces that have no intent to love them. People see through people that aren't willing to to put themselves on the line for them. And they may come two, three, four times and hear the gospel two, three, four times in a friendly church. But if you want someone to anchor their life here, you have to be loving. That means you have to be willing to take on the inconvenience of getting to know other people. The inconvenience of loving other people. The inconvenience of ministering to more people and to new people and to people you don't have a heritage and a history with. And not only do you have to embrace the inconvenience of getting to know new people, but you have to be willing to embrace the vulnerability of letting new people get to know you. Of opening up your heart, of confessing your sin, of talking about your fears and your worries and your concerns. Brothers and sisters, if our groups are just another program, they are powerless. But if they are a place where real real people struggling with real issues of faith and asking real questions over a long period of time, we'll see, we'll see God raise up missionaries here and we'll see God raise up pastors here and we'll see marriages delivered and saved here. We'll see teenagers anchored in the Lord here. We'll see uh, children grow in fear and admonition of the Lord. We will see a transformation take place. What we need, Iron City, are some leaders. Some leaders willing to be truly known and willing to put in the work to truly know others. Some leaders who will commit and resolve before the Lord to inspire one another, to inspire their church. See, church membership is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's not going to be comfortable, it's not going to be easy. And you don't really know truthfully if it's going to work. It's an act of faith to say, Jesus, the church is the means by which you have given to strengthen me in the faith. The church is the means in which you have given to inspire me forward in the faith. The church is the means that you have given that I might persevere in the faith, that I might be faithful to you and bring glory to you and grow in in maturity and sanctification. The church is the means. So Lord, Lord, I will go and I will put myself out there and I will place my faith in you by living in faith in the church. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, who's on the outside looking in? You may have been here 20 years, but you've disengaged and you've pulled back and you aren't inspiring others forward and you aren't being inspired forward. And you would say, the truth is, is I'm just not, I don't have faith that it's going to work. 
Some of you, you're just now coming into the life of the church and it's scary and it's a little bit weird for you. It's gonna be an act of faith no matter where you are. No matter where you are. Would you come, would you meet us here and let us pour into you and invest into you? Because Christian, you will never know the full joy of the Christian life stuck in neutral. And Christian, you will never get out of neutral until you connect into the life of the church. Put your faith in gear. Put your faith in gear. Put your faith in gear so that you can grow in the Lord and increase your joy in the Lord and know more about God and who God is and you and how you were made and how Christ reconciling us together changes everything. This morning, I wonder, if you'll look in the chair in front of you, you'll see a tell me more card. This is a simple, simple application of the sermon. You'll see a tell me more card there in the front pocket of your, chair, of your chair. I wonder if, if you're not connected to groups or maybe your name is on the roll of a group, but you're not really engaged in one. Maybe you're in one, but it's just not, that, that particular group's not landing. We have secure teachers, y'all. You can, you can go to a different group. We can relocate you into one that maybe is a better fit for you. Would you just write your name on there and just check groups? Just check groups. If we don't have your phone number and other information, we'll need you to fill out the other card also. But, but this week, John's gonna touch base with you and he's gonna help connect you. If you're like me, if I don't act in the moment, if I don't do it in the, when, when the Lord is prompting me, and ch- I won't do it at all. So I'm gonna encourage you right now for, for some accountability to take out the tell me more card, to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm gonna take a step of faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the starting line of the Christian faith and biblical Christianity. I'm gonna try to put myself out there in vulnerability in hopes not that I will be beaten down and guilted, but that I will be called forward in faithfulness. This morning, will you put your faith in gear? Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.